Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the NY Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lauther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome back to NucleCast, of course. As I promised you uh, on the last episode, we were going to continue our discussion with Ray Smith, the historian at, at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and he worked, as you remember, he spent 47 years at Y-12. Now, we ended the last episode, part one of this history, and we were sort of coming to the present of of Y-12. And so, you know, the Cold War was over. We were decommissioning uh, secondaries. And, you know, that sort of has been, uh, you know, what's kept Y-12 going. But now we're in this new era where we have, you know, a resurgent Russia that's, you know, that's building all sorts of new systems. They very well may break out of the New START Treaty. They've got thousands of non-strategic nuclear weapons. We've got a China that is, you know, is, is going to be a peer or superior to the United States within the next decade. We've got a North Korea that says they're going to match our capability. Now, for Y-12, Y-12, you know, Y-12 is in, you know, you can go into more detail, but Y-12 is separate from Oak Ridge these days. They're, they're, you know, people just sort of think of Y-12 and Oak Ridge as synonymous and one thing, but they're really separate. You know, and one's a lab that does research, Oak Ridge National Lab, and then one's a, a production facility. Can you go into, you know, what... You know, what is this structure, this differentiation between the two? How did they get there? And then what are they doing now? And what does the future look like? Sure, sure. I can I can do that for for the most part. When And we need to go all the way back for just a moment to how the various companies came to be here in Oak Ridge. Uh, General Groves, you know, had just finished building the Pentagon. So he knew how to pull a large construction project together. He knew how to get private industry involved, <laughs> and, and he knew how to spend money. So, so they were able to do things back then that, I mean, Groves would just go to people like DuPont, uh, Tennessee Eastman, Stone and Webster, and, and he would just leverage them and say, look, we've got a war going on. We need your help. We need you to operate this plant. Tennessee Eastman actually operated the Y-12 electromagnetic separation plant during the Manhattan Project. And by the way, they were hiring these young girls right out of high school to run this complicated equipment. And and they were training them and putting them on there. Again, literally thousands of them, okay? (laughs) 22,482 people working at Y-12 in August of 1945, and most of them, a lot of them, at least, were young girls right out of high school. There's one young lady that worked here from January till August of 1945. And then she came back in 2004. Gladys Owens was her name. And she saw her picture, that picture that Ed Westcott, by the way, Ed Westcott 
if we didn't have Ed's black and white photographs, we would not be able to tell our history nearly as well. But he made this photograph of these young girls sitting at this Calutron cubicles, that they called them cubicle operators at the time. And she came back in 2004, saw that picture over at the American Museum of Science and Energy, and she told the director, Steve Stowe, said, that's me in that picture. Steve called me, and he said, Ray, I found you a Calutron girl. Now, that's where that, <laughs> that name got, comes from, is that conversation. We started calling these elderly ladies at the time who were young girls during the Manhattan Project. We started calling them Calutron girls. And that name has gone, it's gone everywhere now. They all call them Calutron girls. Denise Karanen wrote a book about them called The Girls of Atomic City, one of the best books you'll find about the history of Oak Ridge. But anyway, I took Gladys out to Y-12, and we took her up there and set her in front of those Calutron uh, cubicles again, put her on a, one of those wooden stools, made her picture, and she said, Ray, I never did know what I was doing when I was working out here. Can you show me? <clears throat> and I said, yeah, Gladys, I can show you. So I opened up one of the doors of the Calutron cubicles, and I said, Gladys, when you were adjusting those knobs, and that's what they did all the shift, just adjust a knob to keep a meter on a certain point. I said, you were changing the value of a rheostat down here. She reached over and tapped me on the arm. She said, Ray, I still don't know what I was doing, but I know if I had any bobby pins in my hair, they'd just go and go stick to the ball. <laughs> Largest magnets in the world at the time. <laughs> but anyway, that all the way back to the beginning, Tennessee Eastman operating Y-12, uh, and and eventually, after the war ended, Stone and Webster building a lot of it, J.A. Jones building it. I mean, you just all kinds of companies here. So after the war ended, they began to consolidate that, and they consolidated the operations part uh, into the carbide chemical. Uh, it's three C's, and I can't get the other C. It turned into Union Carbide Nuclear Division. Carbide Chemical Corporation? Company. Company. I, guess I, I don't know what it is. I can't get it. I'm sorry. But at any rate, it, it evolved over time, and they actually took over the laboratory, Y-12, and the K-25. Uh, carbide Carbon. I uh, got it. Carbide car Carbon Chemical Companies. Whew. Finally got that <laughs> off my shoulder. At any rate, uh, Union Carbide Nuclear Division operated all of these sites here in Oak Ridge, even operated Paducah and Portsmouth, uh, Ohio, Paducah, Kentucky, gaseous diffusion plants that were built in the 50s, and up until 1984. Now, in 1984, they made the decision to take it away from Union Carbide Nuclear Division and to begin to split it up. Uh, different companies operating the different sites. <clears throat> and then that's when Lockheed Martin, uh, Martin Marietta at the time, transitioned to Lockheed Martin, took over the facilities, and then ultimately they began to split them up even more. And you had uh, a different company running the cleanup out at K-25, what's called UCOR now has it, uh, <clears throat> Unified Cleanup of Oak Ridge is what UCOR stands for. And it's a company that's doing the cleanup in all of the three sites. And by the way, doing an outstanding job 
of, of cleaning up the facilities so that they can be reused. And then, of course, at Y-12, you had a transition of contractors through the years, and uh, until now, the Consolidated Nuclear Security Company is operating both Y-12 here in Oak Ridge and the Pantex plant out in uh, Amarillo, Texas. Now, again, now that's going to change in the next two to three years. They're going to split those contracts again and identify a new contractor for Y-12. UT Patel has operated the Oak Ridge National Laboratory for the last several years, back to about 1999, and uh, they've continued that operation. And by the way, that uh, situation between the University of Tennessee and Oak Ridge, not just the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, but also Y-12, and to a lesser degree, even K-25. That relationship is something that uh, a, a good close friend of mine, Lee Redinger, who's a professor at the University of Tennessee, he and I, he asked me to help him teach a course on the history of the Manhattan Project at the University of Tennessee, and I agreed to do that. I told stories, he taught the class. And then uh, when we finished, I said, look, Lee, you've got enough material here. We ought, we ought to pull this into a book. So it's been expanded. A, a team of writers ha are working and have worked and completed a book about the relationship between the University of Tennessee and Oak Ridge. And that book will come out in 2024, and it will document some of those things that we're talking about here, especially as associated with the city of Oak Ridge and the University of Tennessee and, and that relationship. <clears throat> so that brings us up to the current arrangement where we've got Consolidated Nuclear Security operating the Y-12 plant. We've got UT Battelle uh, operating the uh, uh, Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And then we've got, of course, the uranium processing facility that is being completed at uh, at Y-12. And uh, uh, Bechtel is, has the lead in producing that finished product. And the buildings are completed now, a $6.5 billion construction project, largest construction project in the history of the state of Tennessee since the Manhattan Project. And that's being completed now. And uh, so that's the situation. You've got the Y-12 plant thriving and, and continuing to support the nuclear stockpile and disassembling nuclear weapons, running special projects for numerous other federal agencies, including NASA. And then, of course, at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, uh, there's all kinds of connections there to, to research being done on almost anything you can think of, even to the fusion energy that's being built, E-T-E-R, E-T-E-R, over in France. The Oak Ridge National Laboratory is managing that work. So what's happening in Oak Ridge today is astounding when you really start looking at the details of the things that are being done in Oak Ridge. <laughs> and just to make the connection for you, think about your iPhone and the touch screen technology on the iPhone that we just take for granted now. That was invented in Oak Ridge. <laughs> huh. So you can I did see not know that. that. <laughs> I know you didn't. I got you. But Oak Ridge touches many aspects of our life uh, that we just take for granted. A lot of the technology that spun out of the Manhattan Project, we don't even think a second thing about today. 
of course, nuclear weapons. We realize that. And I mean, come on, the Oppenheimer movie. We're calling it the Oppenheimer effect because it's bringing tourism to Oak Ridge uh, and an increased interest in the in not just Los Alamos, but in Oak Ridge as well. So as you look to the future of, you know, I have some familiarity with Oak Ridge and is, you know, Oak Ridge is, as I understand it, the lab, the lab is doing, they do a lot of cyber stuff. They do a lot of, you know, sort of cyber security work yes. and they're doing some civilian nuclear energy work. Yes. Uh, but, but can you maybe expand on what the lab is doing and where is it going in the future? And then how do you, what do you see the future of Y-12 being just as you look so, 5, 10, 15 years into the future? Yeah, I, I see that the laboratory with the Frontier supercomputer being the fastest, most powerful supercomputer in the world. And they're, and they're already designing uh, and looking forward to the next generation of computing and and it's it's so complicated and so fast that i can't even think in those kind of terms anymore but i don't expect uh the oak ridge national laboratory to ever be far from being the first in the world in computing capacity and speed uh i think they're going to maintain that that uh superiority as we go forward. And I know they're building a second target facility for the Spallation neutron source. That's approved and is being built. So that's going to double the capacity of the research that can be done at the Spallation neutron source. You realize that is what big science is all about. Uh, Alvin Weinberg coined this phrase, big science. It's something that the government can do, but no single university or single entity has the, the ability to do by themselves. But if the government does it for them, which they've done with the Spallation Neutron Source and the supercomputers, then you can use that facilities, those facilities or that ability. Uh, and, and in the case of Spallation Neutron Source, without charge, if you can compete with other research needs and can be uh, given the, the permission to use the facility, there's no cost to you. Now, that's an amazing thing that big science can do by the government's help that could not be done otherwise. And that that is a phrase that Alvin Weinberg, who was the director of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory for 15 years, and uh, he's also the one that was asked uh, before he died, what's the most important thing Oak Ridge has done for the world? Without any hesitation, he said, medical isotopes helps millions of people every year. Now, you need to know the same science, the same equipment that separated the uranium for little boy also separated all those stable isotopes and the elements in the periodic table in building 9731 and 9204-3 at Y-12. And then they were sent over to the graphite reactor, made radioactive, and produced nuclear medicine. So the thing that Alvin thought was the most significant contribution from Oak Ridge to the world is nuclear medicine. So when you ask about Y-12 and what the future looks for us, I say this without any, uh, any knowledge or detailed information, but it's my estimate 
that we probably have 20 years of backlog just to disassemble nuclear weapons. <laughs> now, you can't, you got to yeah. take that with a grain of salt. I don't have a clue what the backlog is. But as you mentioned, you used the term 24,000. I used the term over 30,000. At any rate, we built a lot of nuclear weapons during the Cold War. And uh, I, by the way, I was out west not too long ago and got to go to one of the Minutemen sites, and they had a chart up on the wall there of all the nuclear weapons that had been built by the Soviet Union, by other nations, and by the United States. So they had that peaking up in around the 60s and the 70s, coming down after the 80s, uh, significantly down. We're coming down, if I have my numbers right, we're coming down eventually to 1,550 by the START Treaty, and we're down to about 2,000 now. But all of those continue, those active nuclear weapons have to come back to Y-12, the secondaries, come back and have uh, some things that need to be refurbished, uh, some things that need to be modified for safety purposes or improvements that have been designed into it. So there's work that has to do with the enduring stockpile that Y-12 does on the secondaries and then ship those back out to Pantex where the, the assembly, final assembly for the nuclear weapons takes place or the initial first disassembly where they take the high explosives off and the, the secondaries come to Y-12. So that work I see continuing for the foreseeable future. And I also see the relationship with NASA. Uh, I mean, they're, they're building right now the CRUSTY uh, is what it's called, and I have no clue what the, the acronym stands for, but it's a, a small reactor that would go into uh, space vehicles that would provide power as they are doing exploration into outer space. And, of course, the... the uh, Oak Ridge National Laboratory provides the, the uh, uh, material that's needed to and is being used in all of the spaceships that are out there now that's, that's comes from, uh, from, yeah. from Oak Ridge, from the National Lab. So I see the future of Oak Ridge, as, as I mentioned, the main missions of Y-12 and the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the multiple missions, uh, I see those as just growing in the future. And by the way, the, the influx of, of private contractors uh, or, or private industry that's coming into Oak Ridge is also a boon to us with the industrial parks that we have being uh, utilized now. And again, we're up to 32,000, which is population in Oak Ridge, which is an increase over the last few years. Building uh, apartments being built as fast as they can build them, uh, they're being rented. So uh, Oak Ridge is growing. Well, we're at that time where we got to take a quick break. We're talking to Ray Smith, and uh, we're talking about Oak Ridge. And, you know, we started in 1942 here in uh, episode two of this discussion of Oak Ridge. You know, we're up to sort of the the present and the future. And then when we get back from the break, I'm going to do what I've been doing for guests here lately. I'm going to bring out my genie, Bob, who grants wishes and see what Ray uh, would wish for. You're listening to Nuclecast and we'll be right back.
This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the AMLA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back and we're with Ray Smith. So, Ray, uh, you, I mean, you, you spent 50 years working Oak Ridge and uh, Y12. And so, I, you know, I have a genie. His name is Bob. Oh. <laughs> I found <laughs> him in the. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you something. Before you bring Bob out, there is a story that I tell everyone who comes to Oak Ridge that we've not included here. May What's I that? include that story? Go for it. Bob out? Sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Now, this one, we have a, a storytelling festival. You know, up in Jonesboro, they have storytelling festival at the International Storytelling Festival. And a couple of families from Oak Ridge were up there about six, seven years ago. And they, they were at that storytelling festival. And they said, boy, we would love to have this in Oak Ridge. So they started it. The Flatwater Tales Storytelling Festival is uh, in, in June of each year here in Oak Ridge. And Bill Lepp, now Bill spells his name funny, B-I-L, just one L, Lepp, L-E-P-P, <clears throat> has been a guest each time we've had the Storytelling Festival. This last year, June of this year, he asked me to help him tell a story about Oak Ridge, and I agreed to do it, and we've had a whole lot of fun doing it. Now, this is my my version of the story. Bill did more research and, and included more information than I do, but I'm going to give you my story, all right? Sure, go for it. <laughs> of those people that had to leave from, Oak, from this area that became Oak Ridge in 1942, November, <clears throat> One of those families was descended from a man named John Hendricks. Now, John was born in 1865, Civil War time, in Bear Creek Valley, right where Y-12 is today. In 1900, his youngest daughter died. His wife accused him of being the reason because he'd corrected the child the day before. So she got mad and left him, took the rest of the children, went to Arkansas, and never came back. Now, this really upset John, so he prayed to God, wanting to know why this is happening to him. Heard a loud voice during one of those prayers that said, if you'll go sleep on the ground for 40 nights, you'll learn the future of this place. Now, it must have been in the wintertime because, as the story goes, his hair froze to the ground. <laughs> now, let me interrupt my story just a minute to tell you these little communities that were here before the Manhattan Project, uh, Wheat, New Bethel, uh, Robertsville, they still have annual reunions every year. New Bethel has theirs every Memorial Day. Wheat has theirs the first Sunday in October. Here a few years ago, I was telling, at, at one of these reunions, I was telling this story about John Hendricks. I got to the part about his hair freezing to the ground. This little lady out in the audience held up her hand. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, my grandmother put a quilt on John Hendricks when he was sleeping on the ground and fed him chicken soup because he was about to freeze to death. Now, you keep that in mind while I finish <laughs> my story. When John got through sleeping on the ground, he had tremendous stories to tell. He'd tell anyone that would listen. He'd tell them there's going to be a huge factory built in Bear Creek Valley that'll help win the greatest war there'll ever be. 
Going to be a city built on Black Oak Ridge. Going to be a railroad spur run right down by his property line. And the seat of power for all this is going to be between Pike's Place and Tadlock's Farm. Now, John died in 1915. In 1942, when the Manhattan Project came in here, the first shovel full of dirt they dug was right between Pike's Place and Tadlock's Farm. That's where they put the administration building. That's where the federal office building is today. That city on Black Oak Ridge is called Oak Ridge. That railroad spur runs right down by his property line in Hendricks Creek Subdivision, named for John Hendricks. In fact, he's buried there at 123 Hendricks Drive, one little tombstone up on top of the hill. He wanted to be buried up there so he could watch over his apple orchard that was down in the valley. And of course, Y-12 is in Bear Creek Valley, where the uranium was obtained for a little boy that did help win World War II. Now, they thought old John was crazy when he was telling these stories, so they put him in a hospital for the insane. He didn't stay long, however, till he walked away, came back, sat down on his front porch, put eight rocks out in the yard in front of him. When the deputy sheriff came, said, John, you're going to have to go back to that hospital. He said, no, I'm not going. said, these rocks will protect me from you and besides. God's going to destroy that hospital. The next week, it was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. So they began to pay a little more attention to John. <laughs> and uh, I put this story on my website, draysmith.com, and I've got lots of contacts from people who are descended from John. The ones out in Arkansas, they're just glad to have somebody in their ancestry with a legend like that. The ones here in Tennessee, they know the legend, so they tell me other things he prophesied, like cargo be transported through the air. He said that before there were any airplanes. And his granddaughter said that he told them that when they cut that right away for that railroad track, they're going to split a tree. And she said for years they kept a little hash stump painted white right out by that railroad track. Now, I don't know what you think about those kinds of stories, but that's, that's one that Ed Westcott introduced to me. It was written first in a newspaper article in 1944, and then George Robinson used it in his book, The Oak Ridge Story, use that story to introduce it. I had an opportunity to uh, interview Senator Howard Baker before he passed away about these Senator McKellar stories, you know, that we're talking uh -huh. about. And he said, when, when we went up and set up our television camera, I said, okay, tell us about your story, your, your connection to Oak Ridge, or well, that's what we opened it with. And he said, let, first, let me tell you how that place was chosen. And he went into that Senator McKellar story in the most flamboyant way you've ever seen. When he got through, I said, thank you, Senator, for putting on video, video the story that I tell everyone who comes to Oak Ridge. He said, where did you get that story? I said, I got it from Dick Smizer, longtime editor of the local newspaper there, the Oak Ridger. He said, that's where I got it, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for letting me insert that story. Now, bring on Bob, and let's talk to you. Okay, so uh, I'm going to rub my little lamp. Bob, he's here. He's going to give you three wishes about the future of Oak Ridge and Y-12. What are your three wishes? Safety. I want everything to remain as safe as we possibly can make it, not only for the workers and the people who are, are living here in this area, but for the world. I hope and pray that atomic weapons are never, ever used again.
Okay, that's a that's a pretty solid uh, wish number one. <laughs> wish number two. Number two, I would like to see more private industry come into Oak Ridge. I think we're a wonderful place for industry to locate. We have the industrial parks. We have the uh, uh, infrastructure that's required uh, to handle almost anything coming. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see before too long that Oak Ridge will actually have a small modular reactor that will produce all the electricity needed for the city and we'll just take ourselves off of TVA's grid. So Oh wow, uh, yeah. That's yeah, a good one. be interesting to see that happen. You bet. All right. Okay. Now number 3. Number 3 is the history uh and the importance of our history. The Manhattan Project National Historical Park was formed in 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 2015, November of 2015. I was fortunate enough to get to testify before Congress that we uh, needed this park and was there when we actually signed it into existence. I was able to take a tour. Uh, the very next day, we came back to Oak Ridge and we were able to go into Beta 3, Building 9204-3, and into Building 9731 and, and give people tours. I want to be able to do that. I want people to experience the authenticity of the history of Oak Ridge. And the Manhattan Project National Historical Park is capable of doing that for us. Uh, we, The Department of Energy is preserving the buildings. And uh, we have a thriving national park here now. I want to see that continue to grow. I'd love to see uh, reenactments of some of the history, living history here uh, we have an Oak Ridge History Museum that's uh, had been created by our local historical society, the Oak Ridge Heritage and Preservation Association, and, and it's doing an outstanding job. Now, the American Museum of Science and Energy, and there's a K-25 History Center that's new, uh, the latest one that we've built. And, of course, Y-12 has its own uh, history museum there in the New Hope Center. And people can come to that. Don't be deterred because the doors are locked. I mean, it is a national security facility. But if you just punch the button on the little intercom and say, I want to see the History Center, they open the doors immediately and let you come right in. Now, don't take any pictures outside. They'll, t they'll take your camera away, your own video. But once you get inside the museum, you can take all the pictures that you want in there and there's a model of a little boy sitting right in the door when you come in so i want to see our history continue to thrive and uh, be even more effective by uh, giving people authentic experiences at the graphite reactor building 9731 and building 9204-3 beta 3 as well as the k25 footprint we're finishing that up we're going to have a viewing platform right at the base of the uh, U-shape of the, of the uh, footprint. And then we're going to put some poles, flagpoles, if you will, out to mark the corners of the building so you can see the size of it. And I'll give you a little wish here for Bob. I want a, a uh, laser uh, unit that will shine from that viewing tower and hit mirrors on all of those uh, flagpoles and give us a, a laser show of what the size, the, remember, 44 acres, uh, largest building in the world at the time, a mile long, 
I want to see that as a laser show. So, Bob, that's my third wish. All right. Well, Ray Smith, historian in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and a longtime 47-year employee at Y12. So thanks for joining us on Nuclecast. Glad thanks to do for it. T- and I'll be honest with you, Ray, you're a pretty good storyteller. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And thanks to you, the listeners, and we will see you on the next episode of Nuclecast. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Krumthal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.